Good morning. It has been, hasn't it? Good morning. It's been great to gather with you together. Um, it's been great to uh, share songs and uh, share the Lord's Supper with you this morning. Uh, as, as you can probably guess, I am uh, very focused in the Lord's Supper uh, with this series. And it's uh, in my study and uh, plenty of things going on. I, I'm, I just, I'm loving that moment and that time together. I wanted to let you know just a little piece. Uh, so, you know, Bo uh, mentioned it this morning as we were doing the song and then the scripture reading, which was, we've done the song before during the passing of an emblem, but the scripture reading was, was different or new for us. And I want to let you know that a lot of these ideas and, and with that is not for the sake of uh, for change, just to change things. It's really to help us focus and experience a little bit different mentality or communal uh, mentality together. And uh, a lot of those ideas are being, or every one of those ideas, are being uh, filtered through a, a group that we're calling the worship committee uh, just to help, help think through some things. So it's not just Mitch saying, hey, I've got an idea and let's do this. It's, it's a group effort to, uh, they can talk me off uh, some cliffs if I'm over, you know, the edge with something, or they can help uh, hone in on a few ideas that I never would have even considered um, that I think are absolutely beautiful. The scripture reading this morning was one of those. It wasn't my idea, um, but it came uh, from, from one of our dear, dear brothers, and I, I really uh, like that idea. All that to say, we've started the series, and if anyone... If you're traveling through, I, I remember I was talking to Richard Oglesby about this. If you're traveling through and you're going to go to church, but you only have a short amount of time to go, go to church for, you're going to have to leave early. What is the time that you wait until before you leave? Well, usually you take the Lord's Supper. Or let's say you have to leave, uh, you have to get there late. The thing that you're hoping you don't miss is the Lord's Supper. Pretty much every one of us understands the importance of the partaking of this, but sometimes we don't understand the rationale behind why we even do it or what's going on when we come to the table. So last week we started this series, and I, I specifically looked last week of how God wants to be in community with his people. He wants to share koanonia was the Greek word that I threw there, which was fellowship and communion is a way to understand that word koanonia. God's desire is for him to be our God and we to be his people. And throughout the history of God's word, as we read all of scripture, we find out that God establishes a fellowship and a covenant through sacrifice. And then he confirms that fellowship and that covenant through eating the sacrifice, through a meal together. The Lord's Supper, then, is the present stage of this redemptive historical tra trajectory of covenant meals. Basically, what I'm saying is whenever Jesus and Paul wanted to help people understand what it was about the Lord's Supper that is significant, they both pointed to the Old Testament practices. And so if we're going to understand why the Lord's Supper should have such an impact in our lives, we need to go look at its history as well. That it didn't just come out of thin air into the New Testament. It came from a long, rich history of Old Testament practice. Around a covenant, most specifically. So whenever we understand covenant, when we look at a little background of the Lord's Supper, we recognize there's a covenant going on. The covenant um, is, a, is an old concept that isn't exclusive to Christianity or Judaism. 
Um, it is, many cultures have the idea of a covenant. Um, even a secular world has an idea of the covenant. But in their time, they called it cutting a covenant. Have you heard that phrase before, cutting a covenant? And the reason being is this is most clearly seen in Genesis 15, whenever Abraham and God literally cut a covenant together. Here's why. Here's what it means. Genesis uh, 15, starting in verse 9, it says, The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him, and he killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. I wish there was more explanation on that. Maybe they were too small, I don't know, too cute, something. Uh, the, some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. Skipping to verse 17. After the sun went down, darkness fell. Abram saw the smoking fire pot and flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. And we can read around there of what the covenant is, but the covenant is about you will be, your descendants will be my people. And, and this promise of a land that you will have, the, the covenant that we're looking at, in the, the big covenant in Scripture, is cut on this day. And the reason it's called cut a covenant, the reason that is part of the language, is literally Abram cut all the sacrifices in half, and there's the disgusting part, they would walk between them. So Abram will walk between these carcasses, and then God's representation, the smoking uh, fire pot and the flaming torch, would pass through as well. What is being said in the covenant is a, between two, uh, two sides, two people, as it were. What is being said is, if I don't up, uphold my end of the covenant, may I be like one of these animals. Covenants are important things. Very important things of what's going on, and you don't take a covenant lightly. Now, we understand that in the language of vows. We don't, we don't encourage people to take the vows of marriage lightly. This is a serious deal. Covenants are serious. But there's even an added layer that we see later on. Because it wasn't covenants simply between uh, man and God. There's also covenants between two humans. See this in uh, Genesis 31. This is uh, the time that, that Jacob is leaving with his family. He is leaving the service of Laban. Now, if you know much about the story, um, there's been some friction between those two. Jacob had worked for 20 years for Laban without pay, most of that without pay, and uh, he is having to kind of sneak away at night. So he takes all of his family, all of his flocks, he's sneaking away, and Laban pursues him. Laban is after him with ill intent. Until God steps in and tells Laban, hey, do not lay a hand on my servant Jacob. So whenever he catches up, there's this whole uh, conversation about who stole his family idols and, you know, why are you coming after me like this and all, all these things. And then finally, Laban and J Jacob, they cut a covenant. And, he, and Laban says, so come, let's make a covenant. You and I, and it will be a witness to our com uh, co uh, commitment. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a monument. Then he told his family members, gather some stones. So they gathered the stones, piled them into a heap. Then Jacob and Laban sat down beside the pile of stones to eat a covenant meal. What we're missing in the story here, but what is clearly going on, is that there was a sacrifice that happened before, because what else would they be eating? 
And so they have the sacrifice, they make a covenant, the sacrifice uh, it confirms the covenant, the blood confirms the covenant, and then they celebrate the covenant through the meal afterwards. All right, so that's the picture of what is going on in Genesis uh, 31, that it is celebrated with a meal. Now this becomes even more impactful whenever we turn to the book of Exodus. In Exodus 19 through 24, we see God cutting a covenant with his nation, Israel. He is making a covenant with them, and we can see um, that he is setting up laws and he's setting up regulations because you can't simply uh, have fellowship with God on your own terms. You have to do things on your end, part of the covenant, and he will do things on his end, the other part of the covenant. Most simply put, the phrase that happens in the Old Testament a lot is, be holy as I am holy. That's a covenantal language. That is what is happening is saying, if you want to be in fellowship with me, you have to be holy as I am holy. And Exodus 19 through 24 is explaining what that means to be holy. This is where we get the Ten Commandments, but also this is where we get several other laws about holiness and what it means to approach God. And so at the end of Exodus 24, we see that uh, Israel is confirming the covenant. They are saying, yes, we agree to this. And in Exodus 24, verse 7, then he took the book of covenant, this is Moses, what he had written uh, with the covenant, he read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins that, uh, uh, and splattered it on the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. All right, for one, I'm really glad that we don't do things like this today, aren't you? I mean, could you imagine me with a little basin of blood up here and be like, all right, let's confirm this covenant. You would for sure be sitting in the back, wouldn't you? The people up front, sorry, you, you know, you'll take my spit uh, over the blood, right? It's pretty disgusting. What we missed just before this is the sacrifices that happened to provide this blood. See, the sacrifices were where the covenant is confirmed. They confirm the covenant here, and then they continue confirming it through the blood sprinkling on us, which is a huge, wonderful understanding whenever we think about our baptism, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at what happens next. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed upon the mountain. This is the mountain of God, the same mountain that they were told not to go up uh, lest they will die. They climbed up the mountain. There they saw God, the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, or however you pronounce that stone, as clear as the sky itself. And though the nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. They saw God and ate and drank with him. Let that soak in for a second. I mean, the typical understanding is that's not how it works, right? Typical understanding of that time and even in our time is saying, well, no one can see God. If they see God, they will die, right? They saw God of Israel, 
early on, uh, verse 9, and then verse 11, uh, 10 and 11, and even though they gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, he invited them to dinner. This is the power of a covenant meal. Any other circumstances, they would have been destroyed. But because of the covenant meal that God has set before them, that he invited them to, they were not destroyed. In fact, they enjoyed the fellowship with God. The sacrifice, the blood, makes the fellowship possible. It seems that Jesus is uh, recalling this event whenever he institutes the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper. Matthew uh, 26 says this, And he took a cup of wine and gave it to them, uh, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. The blood here is the enactment of, of the covenant. That is what has happened with covenantal language. The blood enacts and confirms the covenant. The meal celebrates what has been established. The meal is a celebration of the covenant. In other words, the cup doesn't have to continue being the blood of Christ. As some groups might, might understand what is called transubstantiation which is a really fun word to just simply mean um, that, the blood liter- or that, the, that the wine literally becomes blood, Christ's blood. It doesn't have to do that anymore because it is not a continued covenant it, because that covenant has been sealed with his blood once and for all. What we have is a celebration of the covenant that has been sealed. Now that may be some high theology for you. Feel free to ask me afterwards of some of those big words. The covenant meals... They were not the only picture that New Testament authors would go to of the Old Testament to help explain what is going on or uh, what the Lord's Supper should look like. When Paul wanted to explain the Lord's Supper to the Corinthian church, who the Corinthian church had some problems, uh, to say the least, and they had some problems with their understanding of the Lord's Supper and what it meant and what it looked like. Later on in this series, we're going to dive more specifically into their issues and how it applies to us. But Paul, in his explanation, pointed them to the sacrifices of Israel, the fellowship offering to be specific. He says, think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? Okay, there's a much bigger story going on here, but I want to focus on that, what he says in just this one verse. There are three major sacrifices in, in the Old Testament, under the old law. There's the sin, offer, uh, sin offerings, the burnt offerings, and the fellowship offerings. All right, so the sin offerings are just as you would expect. They are f- uh, addressing sin. They are for atonement and either removing or, or pushing forward sin, however we want to understand that. They are addressing sin. Burnt offerings... Uh, they represent a consecration of a person, of a worshiper to God. Saying if I am, the Nazarite vow was a burnt offering understanding, there is a lot of different uh, ideas in which I want to be consecrated before God, and that burnt offering was burnt. Okay? Not like some of you cook some steak, but it was burnt. It was gone. Fellowship offering. Now this one was different. 
Fellowship offering was, a, uh, was an expression of the peace or the fellowship or even the reconciliation that a worshiper would have toward God. Fellowship offering is the, is the one Paul is referencing here because it is the only one in which the worshiper eats. Now, this is important. The other two, one doesn't get eaten at all. One, only the priests get to eat. But the fellowship offering, the priests eat a portion God gets his portion, the fat, and then the rest goes to the worshiper to eat. And in this way, it's a communal act of worship together. And Paul is referencing this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10. Um, it's, not, it's not just meant to be a solo thing, though. In fact, it's meant to be a communal thing, not just with the priest and God and the worshiper, but with a larger community. To explain this, let me go back to a little bit of the law. Leviticus, I know everyone's favorite book here. I'm going to spare you some of the bloody details that come before this about how the sacrifice should happen and all of that to, and just jump to this piece of the fellowship offering. The meat of the peace offering, which is a fellowship offering, must be eaten on the same day it is offered. None of it may be saved for the next morning. If you bring an offering to fulfill a vow or a voluntary offering, which is also a fellowship offering, the meat must be eaten on the same day the sacrifice is offered, but whatever's left over may be eaten on the second day. Now, all that is saying is that whatever is offered for one particular fellowship offering, whatever is offered has to be eaten the same day, or for another fellowship offering, um, it can be eaten within two days. Okay, you can have leftovers of this one. Um, but that's it. In fact, it goes on to say if you try to do it on the third day, it's not going to end well for you. You know, this isn't just unblessed meat. This is going to have problems if you try to eat it the third day. Now, let's put this in perspective. Let's assume that they give the normal offering of a bull. Kind of a young bull um, can average close to 800 pounds. One doesn't simply eat 800 pounds alone in one day. Some of you consider that a challenge. Don't. That's not going to go well. That's a lot of meat. What that scripture is saying is just by default, this cannot be an individual thing. You cannot have this meal in isolation or simply by yourself. You have to share it. You have to share it with the, the family, the fellow worshipers, those gathered around. In fact, later on, it would even say that you can use the meat of this to bring in the outsider, the outcast. You can bring those in, in this fellowship offering meal. And Paul is pointing to that as saying, this is what unites us. This is what makes us as we should. It is not an individual act. To see a clearer picture of that, we can look at Hezekiah's dedication to the temple, of the temple. Um, it's, it, the fellowship offerings that he gives in Second Chronicles 29 and, and 30 are pretty fascinating, but it's a two-week Passover celebration. That wasn't normal, but they did it for two weeks. Uh, you have, in the first uh, section of this, the first week that the people brought, uh, brought the Lord 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 uh, lambs for burnt offerings. So we're going to set these aside for a second because these are the burnt offerings. They also brought 600 cattle, 3,000 sheep and goats as sacrificed offerings. The next chapter, in, in chapter 30, the entire assembly de decided to continue the festival another seven days. 
the festival, okay? It's a celebration. So they celebrated joyfully for another week. King Hezekiah gave the people 1,000 bulls, 7,000 sheep and goats for offerings. The officials donated 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep and goats for offerings. Just looking at chapter 30, if you want to do the math, there are 19,000 animals being sacrificed. That's some busy priests. But also think about that for a second. The reason there was 19,000 animals sacrificed was not because God demanded 19,000 animals to satisfy him. It's because it took 19,000 animals to feed the people. It took that many animals for the celebration to last as it needed. In other words, the fellowship offering was meant as a communal thing for the gathered assembly. This is part of the reason why churches often have shifted in their Lord's Supper thinking from, from doing the full meal, because man, we, we maybe can't afford that, to going down to a little pinch of bread and a sip of juice. Is because we recognize, you may have qualms with that, you may have issues, but we recognize that we want there to be enough for everyone. We want everyone to be able to participate in this. Now, we don't view it as a full meal like they might have in that time, and maybe we need to have conversations, but the thing is, they wanted everyone involved because this is an offering. And so they looked at it, the covenant meal, the fellowship offering, When Paul points to these meals as an explanation for the Lord's Supper, he in part is saying, this is a communal event. No one does it alone. No one does it in isolation. You cannot participate. You cannot share the Lord's Supper without literally sharing it. That's what he's saying. Everyone is invited Everyone eats, not just with one another, but also with God. There's the horizontal and the vertical part coming into our worship. We have cut a covenant with God. When we give our lives to uh, to Christ through the waters of baptism, we proclaim that he is our Lord and Savior, that he died for us and we're willing to die for him. We are cutting a covenant with him. His blood is sealing that covenant. And then we get to celebrate that covenant every time we share in the Lord's Supper. We get to celebrate the covenant that we have made. And this is not by our own merit because our Lord and Savior was sacrificed for us. He died in our stead and that's the beauty of what we get to do. Not just in the Lord's Supper, but what we get to do every day of our lives. We get to proclaim his death, his resurrection, the life in him. The meal sustains us. Not physically speaking, it's a pinch and a sip. It sustains us spiritually. Of saying this is the celebration that continues every day. This is the celebration that affects every part of my life, is that everyone's going to know that I am a covenant, I'm in covenant with God. And they're invited to be such as well. So this morning, if you have not made a covenant with God, if you've not given your life to him through the waters of baptism to become his child, we welcome you to the waters today. 
if you already have, but you want to get back in fellowship and you want to continue to be sustained by his power and his presence, then have a meal with him and us. And if you need some prayers in the meantime, would you let it be known? Come as we stand and as we sing together.